0: You are listening to another episode of the coaches circle podcast brought to you by lifecoachpath.com our goal is to explore all the
1: different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching wellness and mental health each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own for more information on who we are and what we do visit www.lifecoachpath.com and now, here's your host, Brandon Baker.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Kim Schneiderman. She is a licensed psychotherapist and author of Step Out of Your Story, Writing Exercises to Reframe and Transform Your Life. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks. So glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, anybody that is a fan of the show by now knows that I like to start off pretty much all of our interviews with some background um, on our guest and um, kind of how you came to, you know, love psychology and why you decided that, that, that this was a good um, kind of career path for you.
1: Sure. So first of all, this is my my second career. And um my career path uh, didn't exactly follow any kind of uh, straight line. In fact, it zigzagged a lot. Um, growing up, uh, I was always interested in stories. Uh, I was a big reader. Um, I often saw myself in some ways. I would. I was very aware of seeing myself as a character in a story. Um, and I would always identify with some of the protagonists of of, of the, some of the stories that I would lead, as I think many people naturally do but mm-hmm. don't, aren't consciously aware that they do that um I wanted to go into advertising (laughs) (laughs) and I ended up for um I made at at the time in my life in high school I was making decisions based on all kinds of things that had nothing to do with my career and I ended up going to um, a school that didn't have an advertising program and I just decided to be an English major instead um, which suited my love of stories because right. you know that's all that's what it is. But I learned how to sort of be a critical thinker and to think about the characters in the stories and what their motivations were and um, and what the the author's motivation was as well. Um, and so uh, when I graduated college, I looked for a job in advertising, but ended up with a job in journalism, which is in writing, which was my you know first love and. Um, I did journalism for a couple of years and was uh, really just didn't feel like it was quite the right fit. I was exhausted. Uh, I didn't have this burning um, drive to break the news um, the way that some of my, uh, you know, and I was uh, some of my fellow colleagues did. And I was also um, beginning to do a lot of I was living in San Francisco and doing, doing, beginning to do a lot of like, personal inquiry and seeking into my own psychology and,
0: um, you know, neurotic complexes
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> of being a New Yorker
0: in San Francisco. And um, <laughs> I'm in New York myself. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I started, you know, I got into therapy. I was, in, I was also did a bit of spiritual seeking. Right. Um, and then just sort of ended up uh, serendipitously just moving back, East and um, still not sure what exactly I wanted to do, but I decided that social work would open lots of doors for me. And so that's what I became a social worker. And actually, um, as life would have it, uh, after I got licensed, um, uh, my mother was like dying cancer. And I moved back to New York and took a job in writing for a few years, because it was the job that I felt uh, I got like a cush job. And it was the one that I thought would be easiest to navigate the loss and i said okay i can take a break for a little while this is why my i'm saying my life it hasn't always followed a a straight a straight line right Um, and eventually after doing that for a few years i found my way back to therapy um, which i've been now in private practice i think for 10 years but you know i wrote this book as i wrote the book um you know the writer in me has never left and there's definitely um, a lot of crossover in um, interest in human stories that, that overlaps between, uh, journalism and, um, and being a therapist. Um, only when you ask questions, there's a, there's a different intention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously as a therapist, you're not trying to get, you're not trying to publicize people's stories. Although I, I do blog for psychology today and with permission from my clients, I do anonymously weave them into my story, into my, um, blogs and, uh, yeah, so it's been, um, you know, I feel like for me, my, my career is an, you know, Um, It's constantly, it's part of my personal uh, discovery and unfolding. And I feel like the more that I do this work, the more that I work on myself, I mean, what I love about being a therapist is that the more w- where I work on myself, um, the more helpful that I can be to others.
0: Absolutely. and.
1: You know, and um, I weave you know all of the threads of my life experiences into the work I do, and helping to clients to um, look at their stories from a from a novel perspective, um, and to ultimately uh, feel you know that they see themselves with more compassion. Um, and understanding so that they can transcend those storylines that have limited them.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for for taking us through that. Um, you know, something that we touch upon on the show quite often is this idea of finding a niche. You know, it is something that listeners of the show are quite focused on oftentimes because, you know, in, in the beginning of your coaching career or, you know, like in your case, your your psychotherapy, you know, career you're focused on that identity Um, like how am I going to build an identity as a practitioner and I think sometimes the the mistake is to think well my niche has to be focused on the client so for example um, you know a trauma focus or a focus on careers or a focus on you know sexual addiction or a focus on you know infidelity so all these different kinds of challenges that clients can come to you with Um, but, but really the niche of a coach or a therapist could be on, on focused on you as the practitioner. So what angle are you going to take to help clients through whatever challenges they're facing? So in your case, you know, you see clients dealing with, like you mentioned on the website, life transitions, you know, Mm -hmm. grief and bereavement, um, relationships, right. Overcoming blocks. So this Mm -hmm. is basically, it, it runs the gamut. However, your focus is on the story what story does the client tell themselves about themselves um, and and how can we work on that as a as a kind of way to work on these other issues Um, i know you also work with internal family systems and um Mm -hmm. you know the 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 storytelling isn't kind of the whole picture but for for the purpose Mm -hmm. of the show i I did want to um -hmm. focus in on that a little bit more. And um, so if you can just start us off there. So what what do you notice are some of the most common... Um, well, I guess first I should ask, do clients even come to you with any kind of coherent story about themselves at all, typically? And if they do, um, what are some of like the, the, the negative stories that, that you hear clients coming to you with?
1: I mean, it, def- it depends how you define coherent. I mean, <laughs> oftentimes... People have a particular story they've been telling themselves that they can make lots of coherent arguments about. Um, they've been selling themselves for years, but it's usually oftentimes it's sort of an incomplete story. You know, it's like a story like they're missing, maybe they're not in touch with some of the deeper pain that informed their um, initial impressions about themselves. Um, and so, and the way that they tell the story, you know, again, again I, my perspective has shifted so much since I started internal family systems, but one of the things I'll just sort of pivot here a little bit and just say that one of the ways that I understand hu- the human life story mm-hmm. is that it's, it's, um, that it's not without its uh, its cliffhangers and its conflicts, and that those parts, the way that I help clients reclaim and reframe their stories, is to understand that the challenges they face are an important part of their story because it's pushing them to stretch and grow beyond their comfort zone. And so, there's a lot of times that people come into me and they expect that, like, you know, there's almost an it, it, there's um an implicit um, expectation that they're li- or in their, it, within their own you know psyches that life is supposed to be easy and they're supposed to be happy. Hmm. You know, everybody thinks I'm supposed to be happy and things are supposed to be easy. And so it makes if you really believe that life is supposed to be easy, it, then when things happen to you, which they always do because that's life, or when things just are challenging, then there's a sense, then you could easily feel like there's something wrong with you or you're a victim.
0: Right. Because your story deviated from what you thought it was going right. to be. Got exactly. Oh, yeah. so
1: I often talk, so I, what I try to do is um, especially in, in writing workshops that I teach based on my book, um, is help people differentiate between what I call like, you know, a self-defeating story or a victim story and what I call like a soul narrative, which is basically embracing that the aspects of your story that are challenging you right now are also pushing you to develop those sort of areas within yourself that, you know, like if you can imagine like a personal trainer, mm-hmm. right? It's like a character development workout. It's helping you to develop those areas within yourself that maybe like flabby or not as strong by actually it's, it's pushing you to use your strengths that you already have, but also like helping you to like develop those areas that maybe aren't so strong by bringing them to the surface so that you can look at them and say, Oh, wow. Okay. This is really like, I'm in this relationship now and it's pushing me to confront my own insecurities about, or my own lack of trust or my own, um, you know, uh, fear of abandonment. And so then I have a chance to kind of work with those issues by, by embracing them, you know, by noticing them, embracing them, then I can actually move forward as opposed to pretending like, um, as opposed to like having those things be under the surface and just trying to go about, um, my life with sort of, by just like sort of I don't know, meeting goals, if that makes any sense.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so what I find interesting about, you know, you mentioned the book. I, what I find interesting about this approach is, um, as we've said, this, this third-person perspective. And if I can just really quickly share with the audience um, this sample exercise that you included um, in your description. So it's a writing exercise, and it goes like this. If you were reading the story of your life in a novel— the current chapter would be called, and then blank, and then you would insert title, um, mm-hmm. and it continues, and it would be about, and then you have to summarize that chapter in a couple of paragraphs, um, and so I think it's a it's a really novel kind of um, way I think for people to to self assess, um, especially I mean at least on this show we haven't really had anybody talking about um, you know uh, client work in in any in any way that resembles, um, this writing exercise that I just described. And so I Mm -hmm. wanted to, I wanted to ask you, what is it about this kind of third person perspective, um, that you think works so well, as opposed to, um, the typical, you know, talk therapy perspective, which is just like, you're pretty much, you know, mired in your, in, in the moment, like in this particular challenge that you're facing right now, there is kind of no big, picture perspective typically?
1: Sure. Um, So a couple of things. The third person gives you a little bit of psychological distance from your ego. When we think about ourselves as an I, we become very attached to whatever we, however, descriptors that follow. Like I am a lawyer, I am a stockbroker, I am this, I am, I'm a mother, I'm a, whatever it is, we become very, very attached to it. And people, there's a lot of um, weight that's assigned to those descriptors. And what happens when people write in a third person um, narrative, which is referring to yourself as a he or she, or maybe a they, um, is that you begin to sort of get a little bit of like, um, you begin to get some distance so that you sort of, can have um, a like a a, a broader perspective um, on your own story, and this is not just based. You know, this is not some clever clever gimmick, but it's based on a growing body of psychological research that shows that people who tend to view themselves through the third person narrative, or view like a a past event through a third person narrative, tend to view themselves much more compassionately and gently, and. It's almost like you're sort of tricking the centering ego into thinking that you're talking about somebody else but you're actually talking about yourself.
0: Interesting. And
1: sometimes you know how people say like oh it's so much easier like you know there's that that classic CBT question, you know, with someone who's sort of beating up beating them up on, up on themselves about, you know, being late or doing something they wish they hadn't done and you say, well, if you were if a friend was telling you they had done the same thing, how would you respond to them? And people mm-hmm. are always much more compassionate because we have a tendency again with our own to be much harder on ourselves because of our egos. So what the third person does, it just, it gives us a little bit of psychological distance to see ourselves um, from a broader perspective. And, you know, the other, the other piece of it is I um, is that is the idea of looking at your life as a story you know, because every life is an unfolding story. It's a unique, dynamic, potentially heroic story that's open to interpretation, especially your own, right? And every story has a protagonist who's trying to accomplish something, you know, um, or overcome, who's faced with some kind of, you know, who's basically going about their lives and then something happens, right? And that there's some kind of crisis and that crisis, is usually presented by this antagonist, um, and that can be like another person. It can be um, a, 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 a pandemic, right. <laughs> you know. Right. It can be it can be uh, a government, whatever that is. It's a situation that it it that forces it to somehow have to to stretch and grow beyond their comfort zone, right? And sometimes that includes things that are uncomfortable. Right. Um, and so if people can see themselves as, you know, a protagonist in their story and kind of view that like whatever they're facing, for example, a pandemic as an opportunity for that to grow, it gives them some agency, you know, in their own lives because Absolutely. they can make, then make choices, you know, about how they can't, con- they can't control the, like, they can't control, um, the things that happen to them in their stories sometimes, but they can control their narrative and how they respond to it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So this actually has come up in different contexts on the show before what you mentioned about how people are able to kind of um, help others more effectively Mm -hmm. than they're able to help themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so important for Aspiring coaches, you know, given that the show is centered on, on coaching, it's so important for young coaches to remember that the 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 main point of coaching is not to tell the client what they should be doing, because nine times out of 10, they already know um, if, if they were to if the if the roles were reversed, the client would actually be able to speak to one of their friends or one of their family members much more lucidly Um about their problems even though they're not able to do that on themselves and so as as a as a coach it, it, it can often be tempting to have this kind of imposter syndrome about like oh man who am i to sit in a room with somebody and tell them you know and kind of help them through their challenges you know um imposter syndrome is a is a huge problem i i've learned with with young coaches and i think this point that we're able to help others but sometimes not ourselves is so um, I think that that can help kind of uh, release some of that pressure for coaches um, because it, it just reminds you that, you know, what the client already kind of knows what they need to do in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes all they need is that other person to to talk it through with. And um, you also reminded me when I was uh, when, when I was in college, I, I used to read um, a lot of philosophical works. Um, I, I read one by a Dutch philosopher, Baruch Spinoza, and um, one of the quotes that I'm never going to forget, and I'm going to probably butcher the exact wording here, but anybody, anybody that looks it up can f- easily find it. He he mentioned basically that suffering basically stops, you, you basically stop suffering once you can form a picture of it from the outside. Um mm-hmm. And so that idea to me just struck so true, and I think it probably relates um, to to the work that you're doing. When you can kind of have an outside perspective on yourself, almost like a meta perspective on yourself, that somehow releases you from the, um, I guess, you know, uh, momentary first person perspective that you're so mired in, um, and helps you kind of, you know, have a clearer picture as to what should be done. Uh, moving yeah. forward,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'd like to add to that because I think it's it's not just about being able to look at yourself from the outside because sometimes people do that and they're like, "Oh, I look awful." <laughs> right. You know, I have that. Yeah. Oh, if someone were looking at me like you know. If someone were looking at me, they would think this or they would think that, and I think that is really dangerous to have you know measure yourself by that external locus of control. Sure. This is you know this is more about valuing like yes to be able to see that your life like it's it's about valuing your own character development you know if you can look at it and say like if you can step back from your story and say yeah this is this situation right now i'm struggling financially because of covid and i'm not able to run my you know restaurant or my whatever it is that you can't run if you can um you know, if you can step back from it sometimes and, you know, cause the victim story can be really paralyzing and not, and this is not about, by the way, whitewashing over pain because that's not, but it's about really saying like, wow, there's an opportunity here. If I can step back a little bit, I can maybe figure out there's an opportunity for me to grow and stretch beyond what, you know, who I was at the beginning of my story. And I often use the metaphor, you know, the, um, uh, story of the Wizard of Oz as an illustration of that you know the illustration the the Wizard of Oz can be um read as a story about you know a girl who has who runs away from home because she's bored and unappreciated and you know and ends up like you know killing this witch and then is chased by this homicidal witch and all these bad <laughs> her and then she arrives home and you know nobody believes that she's had this journey or you can see or she you can it can be seen as like um a story of um metamorphosis of discovering what really matters you know what you can include in a story or omit from a story like i just told the story without you know including all the friendships that that she made and how the lives of the people that she touched and it's basically you know it's the it's the same story you know, but it's, it depends on like what details you include and how you look at it as, you know, for the second story. And I, and I actually have in my book, um, actually really, I, I use, you know, two, I actually write out two different versions of the, of the Wizard of Oz, but, um, it's about, you know, really valuing her own transformation and character development, right.
0: which is important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, thank you for for taking us through that. I think that was a really unique perspective. Um, and I, I love how you mentioned earlier that you kind of have thought in this, in this vein, in this, you, you've kind of had this perspective ever since, you know, even way before you started your career as a therapist. It's kind of always how you viewed your own life. Um, it's kind of, a it's kind of an angle you've always had. And so I think, I think a, a trend that listeners of the show by now should be picking up on is that some of the best work comes from that kind of early bias. Like, w- w- like whatever you, whatever you think set your thinking apart from an early age, however your, your mind just kind of naturally, um, looks at the world often, obviously you know supplemented through you know getting licensed and educated and all that but um if it's informed by something more innate or instinctive in the way you look at the world it's it's so much more um impactful Mm -hmm. i think and um yeah Yeah. yeah, and i think it's important for anybody looking to you know what niche do i occupy what is my identity nine times out of ten you kind of already know it you just have to dig a little deeper into what makes your way Mm -hmm. of thinking unique and so um yeah, so thank you for for taking us through that. I, I wanted to also ask you kind of about the the business end of things because that is again something that listeners of the show are thinking about, are, are in many cases worried about. You mentioned that you had a kind of a cushy job before um, your career as a therapist. So can you just talk to us a little bit about the transition from employee to you know your own? private practice and maybe some of the challenges that you faced along the way and how it could be, I guess you know how how it could be done better by somebody entering that uh, that entrepreneurial you know challenge now.
1: So I have to tell you this is it's I, there's a part of me that's like laughing and response to this question because it's something that I'm always it this that always evolving in terms of becoming my own you know being an entrepreneur. But um, I wouldn't say my job was cushy, but it was definitely stable and secure. And I had benefits and paid time off and all of those good things.
0: Oh, well, that was a direct um, quote, I believe.
1: So, <laughs> I, uh, no, it was. Yeah, I know okay. it was. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a direct quote, but I was like, eh, well, you know, it wasn't totally. It's not like classically. cushy. Right, it was just right, right. It was nice to have like, you know,
0: of course.
1: Benefits. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I did. I kind of dipped my toe. I was sort of, I went down from working full-time to part-time, as many people do, uh, dipping my toe into my own private practice. Um, I, when I started, I was I was highly disorganized. Um, I was working out of my apartment. I um, was, uh, I mean, I'm not, I think my strength is in my insight and my intellect and my compassion. Um in my creativity, but it is not in my business savvy. Hmm. Um, I am though a very good marketing person, which is how I got a book deal. Um, I'm a good writer. I know how to like draw people's attention. So those things really did help. And they've given me a bit of an edge about, I think among other therapists because I know how to promote myself, but um, I, it took me a little while to just acclimate and have enough confidence to, Um, well, first of all, to raise, to, I mean, it's taken me a while to sort of raise my fees and ask for the money that I think I deserve. And um, also I had to ask around, I had to ask other therapists, like, how do you organize yourselves? You know, uh, what do you do? Um, And I just sort of borrowed different ideas of different people, things people did. I recently, you know, last year, so invested in a in an online platform that sort of synthesizes all of my business functions and helps me just organize my practice better. And, you know, it's spending a little bit more money every month, but for me, it's been worth it because everything is much more streamlined, which is, you know, something to learn, you know, helpful. Um, But it's, it's a work in progress. You know, I, a few, like, was it two years ago, I was really missing my paid time off and, you know, and I decided um in sick days and I was like, maybe I wanna work part time as a as a like a, a grant writer or something. And I took this very part time job and I tried to do both the grant which offered me like, believe it or not, some pay time off. And I tried to do that and be a therapist. And it was this just doesn't sort of a disaster. sound like it's
0: gonna work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was, not. It, was it lasted like two months or something. And yeah. I was just like oh, that was a nice experiment. Um, not too much damage. <laughs> I feel I feel okay, but good thing that, okay, this is, and then I, and then I was like, all right, I got that out of my system. Mm-hmm. Now you I'm know. diving in yeah. and now I'm going to be a full, time like, work for myself. And I really, you know, I haven't looked back. I mean, there are days that I'm just like, oh, I wish I was getting paid for my day off. Damn. But to be honest with you, I love the autonomy. I love the freedom of my schedule. Um, I love the ability to choose the client, you know, the clients that I want to work with. Um, I love that I can bring so much creativity into what I do and, and and combine it with teaching and writing learning and writing and running workshops. And that kind of like creative sovereignty for me is worth everything.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's probably the primary reason why people decide to go into business for themselves. It's not, I mean, yeah, the money uh, is sometimes a consideration, um, at least long term, because mm-hmm. short term it's often a a drop in income. But um, I think it's the autonomy really that is the is the main pull. Um, speaking of of rates and and money in general, you mentioned that it took you some time to raise your rates to what you felt was appropriate for what you are offering. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. So um, both from coaches and therapists alike, it seems to be a trend where in the beginning, they kind of lowball themselves on um, on what they feel they should be earning for for their time. And so anybody that is considering, or anybody that is yet unsure as to what their rate should be who's listening to the show, I would highly recommend to um, avoid lowballing yourself. Whatever you think you should be earning for your time, it's probably higher than that. Um, and don't don't be afraid to set your rates to where you think you should be. Not maybe necessarily where you are, but where you think you you will be. Don't be afraid of of setting your rates at that point because you are not going to be. Cutting out potential clients by raising your rates—you're just simply going to be attracting a different type of clientele. Um, so you know, s- some people wouldn't feel comfortable reaching out, or at least they wouldn't feel comfortable booking with a um, a coach, for example, since we are talking about coaching on the show, who is lowballing themselves if they if they're charging, you know, twenty five dollars an hour. Uh, you know, a, a client that is trying to achieve some merely lasting transformative change in their life it's probably not going to think that they're going to be able to do it with somebody who's charging $25, $50 an hour. Um, And so you actually can, you know, contrary to what the instinct is, which is I need to lower my rates to attract more people, it's actually the opposite. Um, You are just going to be attracting different types of people by by pricing appropriately. So um, it is something I have mentioned once or twice on the show, but after hearing it enough times, I feel like I feel like it's it's a it's a pretty pervasive issue, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the last question I wanted to ask you is something that I I like to ask most guests on the show. Um, I think everybody kind of has an instinct as to what the positives of therapy and coaching are from a practitioner perspective, which is you know seeing their clients have that transformative change, that aha moment that you hear so many coaches talk about. But what I wanted to ask you was the opposite of that so what what have you found to be maybe the most unexpected or the most challenging aspect of your work, and how have you worked to overcome that throughout your career?
1: Um, wow, that's a loaded question <laughs> i mean the f- the first thing that came up and I just in terms of the challenge um, is those moments where my parts are afraid that, that I won't be able to be helpful to a person that really wants help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To me, um, you know, if if somebody has come to me and they have like complex trauma, um, I will sometimes, like there's like a little part of me that might like panic and go, oh my god, like am I going to be able to help them? And it's it's really taken me, I think my IFS training, um, it particularly has really helped me with that. Is noticing that it's, first of all, it's just a part of me um, that's, con- that feels like th- that's concerned that if I aren't, that, you know, that if I'm not able to help them, that I'll feel worthless or that maybe I'll hurt them um, and um, is rooted in, in my own, you know, deeper, my own deeper wounds. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I know what that's about. So, um, what I can usually, what I've, it's taken me time and maturity, and the com- and confidence, and I will say a lot of training, because that's really important. Um, to feel really confident, like I can look at that and just notice it that it's fear, and kind of just say, "Okay, I'm scared," and and ask it to sort of step back so that I can be fully present because my presence is what's going to be helpful. And I do have the skills. So it's just like an old, like panicky part. Um, there are occasions where I don't think that I'm the right person for them and I will refer them out and say, so and refer them out. Um, but some, oftentimes it's just some old, you know, wounded insecure. I'm not enough part that's coming up and feels like I'm not going to be helpful. Um, and again, it's usually around some of the more intense, uh, you know, people with a lot more of a traumatic history, which may be different in coaching because I think people are usually dealing with trauma um, with their therapists and not necessarily with their coaches. But I imagine there are times as a the coach that they, they're like, oh gosh, like I haven't done this before. How am I going to help somebody else Absolutely. do this particular thing? Um, and I think a lot of it is about trusting yourself. You know, I mean, actually, that's what all it's that's what it's all about. Like, do you trust your own wisdom? Do you and trust and value your own wisdom and your own insight Um, and your ability to even say, like, I'm not really sure about that, but let me think about it, you know, because we don't always have to have all the answers.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I was actually talking to another therapist about this exact issue where they they shared kind of a similar thought. And I, I, I talked about imposter syndrome earlier, which kind of relates, I think, um, it's, a, it's a bit different from what you're saying, but I think it's it's related. Um, and she mentioned to me how um, she, she said, I bet 100% of the coaches and therapists that have shared this experience or this fear have been women. And I'm like, huh, I never thought about that, but let me think on it. And when I did think about it, it was absolutely true. Um, I have not had a single man that has shared one shred of doubt about their abilities as a therapist. And um, I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing or, or well, my suspicion is that uh, women are just more discerning in general um, and have kind of more of a, I don't know, kind of a, a need to, to be doing the, the right thing as opposed to just saying, yeah, I'm, of course I'm good enough. You know, it's me. Uh, as, as a lot of, I think guys would say, but, um, absolutely. I, th- I think you're speaking to a lot of, um, you're, you're speaking to a shared concern that coaches and therapists alike face. And I know you mentioned that, you know, therapists are working with clients that are dealing with trauma. And so those can be, um, particularly difficult. And particularly scary for for the for the therapist if they haven't yet worked on, a, worked with a client who's facing that same issue. But but let me tell you, I mean, coaches deal with with these doubts all the time. Um, this is probably the most common response to that question, aside from the marketing, which you said you were quite uh, naturally skilled at. But it's it's this, you know, am I doing well enough at? You know, am I helping my clients enough? That doubt is so pervasive. And so, um, yeah, so thank you for for being honest about that. And I think it's healthy. I, I think it's a healthy, it's kind of a healthy fear to have. It, it keeps you wanting to learn more, as you said. It keeps you wanting to, you know, get further education, um, wanting to be better and so forth. So, um, yeah. So yeah. thank you for, for sharing that.
1: Yeah, and I I also think it's it's something that um, I know for me, it took me a while to figure out that not everybody is having the same kind, the same, like, sometimes I would take my own insight and knowledge for granted. You know, I would assume, well, if I know this, everybody knows this. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize, like, no, people don't know that they don't have that insight. They don't really see things the way that you're seeing them. And when I kind of figured that, when I had that aha moment, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And I think this is actually especially true for, let's say, executive coaches who are working with clients who are, you know, um, you know, C-suite executives or, you know, clients that have been in business for for 30, even 40 years sometimes. And let's say they're a, 35-year-old coach, working with a 65-year-old, you know, established experience, kind of been around the block a million times sort of client. I think when you're sitting with somebody like that, it can especially feel like, well, what do I know that this client doesn't already know? And so that's when the doubt begins to creep in. But you're right. All it takes is some kind of sensibility on just one aspect, just one area of life that might be a little bit ahead of your client, or even just a little different than your client, that's already enough to offer a fresh perspective, um, mm-hmm. and, and help, and, you know, kind of be that nudge that the client needs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I, I just thought of something that is more, is one of my exercises that's much more co- like coaching focus that yeah. I talk about. And maybe I, if, I don't know, the remaining of time might be helpful to mm-hmm. mention well one, of, well, one of the aspects of looking at your life as a story is that in every story, um, the, the protagonist is usually given um, tools and strengths to help them overcome whatever challenges they're facing. But they often don't do um, in any kind of like, you in, in, in life, if we're the protagonist of our own story, we often don't take that sort of inventory when we're, cha- we're faced with challenges right like in the lord of the rings for example frodo's given like you know that special sword and you know the light and all right. of these you right. know like luke gets his lightsaber
0: mm-hmm. so
1: we don't always look at like the people and the resources and the strengths that we already possess to face challenges and so sometimes what i'll do is when i'm doing writing exercises with people is i'll have them make an inventory of all the strengths they already possess I'll have them make an inventory of like all the tools that they're, you know, that they're all the resources at their disposal and kind of a list of like all of those, um, you know, they're the, supporting characters and often, we, and I'll have them do a bunch of writing exercise related writing exercises. And oftentimes people really do feel like another, like more prepared to face the challenges ahead when they've done those kinds of inventories.
0: Right. Yeah, as you're describing this, what I'm realizing is that so many of these modalities that therapists use, they're kind of like languages, but the actual work that's being done um, actually has a lot in common across modalities. But for example, you talk in terms of stories, like, you know, and we think about these narratives that we've grown up hearing and watching. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the end, all you're talking about really is strengths. Um, Well, at least in this context, you know, that's kind of the the big idea here is um, it's not a superpower. It's like a strength, right? And so strength as a general concept has its place in so many different modalities within coaching, um, especially coaching, I would say, but also in in a lot of more modern therapies. Um, You know, I've spoken to coaches and therapists on the show that that have a different modality, a different language, so to speak, but what they're actually getting at. Is the same as a lot of the other therapists that use different modalities. Um, And so, yeah, it's just like, what language do you speak as a therapist? Mm -hmm. Um, And whatever language you naturally speak, you know, being able to speak that language is going to bring out your best work. And also, what language do your clients speak? You know, like, I, me personally, I'm not well versed in a lot of these narratives, a lot of these movies that everybody has seen a million times. Like, I personally haven't seen them. And so maybe like this idea. And so I I don't really think of I guess at least not consciously, I should think about that, but I don't consciously think of my life as kind of like a, a story in that sense. But um for example, I, I do, like I said before, think in terms of philosophy. I'm um I'm, I'm into philosophy in general. And so I spoke to a coach who is a philosophical coach. And so she speaks that language, I speak that language, and so we would be a nice match. But really, the work you're doing and the work she's doing. Once you translate the languages, right, it's kind of the same um, in, in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that every aspect is the same, but there are a lot of similarities once you kind of get past the um, that kind of language, the the modality that, that you're both using. So I'm not sure if I'm conveying that properly, but I, I I do think it's an interesting observation I've made in speaking with a lot of therapists and coaches and, and the work they're doing. So, yeah, Kim, thank you so much for for being on the show. I think this was really unique perspective. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity to share with our audience where we can find more about you and also about, about the book.
1: Sure. So, um, you can go to step That is my website. Um, the book is also available through new world libraries website. Um, you can just Google new world library, but that's my publisher, or you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, and I have a Facebook page also entitled Step Out of Your Story. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm occasionally on Twitter, but I also have a psychology blog called The Novel Perspective. But anyway, if you'd like to be on my mailing list, you can go to stepoutofyourstory.com and there's a little contact form um, and add your name to my mailing list and I will send you information about my writing workshops. And um, And other opportunities and my blogs.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I I love uh, that it's called The Novel Perspective. That's exactly what this was. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, again, everybody, that's stepoutofyourstory.com. That is Kim Schneiderman. And Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. I wish you the best of luck.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Okay. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making
0: it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.